Love God, love your neighbor. This is Creeds and Deeds. Psalm 31, verses 14 through 24. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them, save or from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in the besieged city, I had said, in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you have heard my voice for pleas of mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful and abruptly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong, let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the words of our Lord will stand forever. Thank you for tuning in to Creeds and Deeds. It is Monday, the 3rd of December, 2018, and this is Al, and today is Church History Monday. So today we're looking at the 3rd century. To highlight the 3rd century, I've chosen to look at Tertullian. Tertullian is known in the church history as the father of Latin theology, as he was the first church leader to write his works in Latin. Most of his writing was in defense of Christianity against the persecution from without or heresy from within. He had an enormous influence on the church, and much of that influence can still be seen today. Born about AD 145 to a Roman centurion in Carthage, Quintus Septimus Florence Tertullinus was trained in Greek and Latin and became a lawyer in Rome where he was converted to Christianity about A.D. 185. Though we know very little about the details of his conversion, he said that he could not imagine a truly Christian life without a conscious breach, a radical act of conversion. Prior to his conversion, he indulged in the typical licentiousness of Roman society, including sexual promiscuity and enjoying the games in the arena. He was profoundly affected by the testimonies of Christians who were martyred in the arena, and it is likely that his conversion was a result. Tertullian was ordained a presbyter in the church at Carthage, North Africa, and began writing books addressing the issues of the church was facing that day. In response to a heresy about the Godhead, Tertullian wrote against praxis, which for the first time used the word trinity to describe the Godhead concerning Father, Son, and Spirit. Tertullian said, These three are one substance, not one person. His longest book, Against Marchin, defended the use of the Old Testament by the Christian Church and demonstrated how to use the scriptures to refute heresies. Gnosticism was a major threat to the Church of his day, and Tertullian did more than anyone else to overthrow the influence of the Gnostics. 
Tertullian was a key player in the transition of the church from a persecuted minority to a major influence in Roman society. Early in his ministry, he wrote his Apology, which defended the church against the persecutions of the state and explained the principles of religious liberty as an inalienable hum- uh, right of man. He was the first writer to use the word church to describe a specific building, rather than the assembled people. He was also the first to speak of a distinction between clergy and laity, though he affirmed the universal priesthood of the believers. While he is known as the father of Roman Christianity, and some would blame him for the heirs of the Roman Catholic Church, many of Tertullian's teachings stand against those heirs. Tertullian laid down the principle that custom without truth is only time-honored heir. In other words, tradition must be backed by scripture for it to have any value. Though he was one of the early church fathers who advocated celibacy as the correct interpretation of 1 Corinthians 7, he himself was married. Later in life, possibly after a dispute with Roman bishops, Tertullian adopted Montanism, which marked him as a heretic in the church. Despite that move, his earlier church writings maintain their popularity and value among peers and have remained a valuable part of our theological heritage. Tertullian was a great man used greatly by God to define and defend the essential doctrines of the faith, and we are still benefiting from his ministry today. Thank you for joining me for Church Monday. This was a history on the Church Father Tertullian from the 3rd century, and join me tomorrow for Topical Tuesday as we look at the limited atonement. Today, for the start of the Advent season and through Christmas, I am going to do some small readings from... um, Well, I'm going to start off with uh, December Table Talk. I'm going to read some short readings from this. Uh, It's called The Promised Messiah, and it's about uh, 15 or so readings talking about Christ from the Old Testament, looking at his, what they were, what the Old Testament Jewish believers uh, saw and they were hoping for, and how the Old Testament shows that Christ is coming, his birth is coming. So today we're going to start off, uh, this is the December Table Talk. And like I said, it's called the Promised Messiah. So today is the first reading of this. It's uh, called The Seed of Woman from Genesis 3, 14 to 15. And it's written by R. Andrew Compton. The curse on the serpent in Genesis 3, 14 to 15 set the stage for the subsequent course of redemptive history. Obvious New Testament allusions to the passage occur in places such as Luke 10.19, Romans 16.20, and Revelation 12.17. Yet from this point in the book of Genesis, the theme of enmity between offspring and seed characterizes the biblical narrative. This passage is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the consummate seed of the woman, who crushes the head of the serpent. In the three cursed speeches given in Genesis 3.14-19, the plotline of history is sketched out. The intensity of these speeches can be traced as follows. At its height, a curse is given directly to the serpent. Cursed are you. With Adam, there is a slight mitigation. The ground is cursed because of Adam, but he is not cursed directly as the serpent was. Finally, with Eve, the word curse is not even used. The curse of the serpent climaxes in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Eve did not die on the very day she ate of the tree, C. 2.17. She lived long enough to bear children. Pain in childbirth was multiplied, but childbirth nevertheless occurred. 
Adam named Eve appropriately. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, in verse 20. The e through Eve would come all life. From this point on, Genesis depicts two lines of seed engaged in a holy war. When Eve bore Cain, her confidence in God's promise was strong. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, chapter 4, verse 1. And yet this man, Cain, was actually of the evil one, 1 John 3, 12, and killed his righteous brother, Abel. Cain proved to be of the serpentine line, which seemed initially to gain the upper hand. God's judgment on Cain alluded to the curses in Genesis 3. And now you are cursed from the ground, 4.11. Cain was like his biological father, Adam, in being cursed from the ground. But he was also like his spiritual father, the devil, in that he received the curse himself. You are cursed from the ground, verse 11. What we see next is the contrast between what we might call two patriarchs of different seed. Cain was the head of the line of the serpent, and Seth was the line of the promise. Cain proceeded to build an evil empire. Though Adam and Eve were sent east of Eden, Cain willingly went even further east from God's presence. He built a city, had a son, Enoch, and named the city, literally called it after him. Note that the next time you, we read of someone building a city, it is another serpentine city in the east, Babel. In spite of the cultural achievement of Cain's line, we see it culminating in the birth of Lamech, the seventh generation. God promised sevenfold vengeance in Genesis 4.15 upon anyone who would murder Cain, but Lamech acted as though he were greater than God, capable of meeting out seventyfold vengeance. Had the serpentine seed of Cain mounted a true challenge to God's promise? In Genesis 4.25, we read of the line of the promise. Eve bore a replacement for righteous Abel, Seth. With Seth's son, there is continued interest in the names of, pe of people. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 26. Seth's line culminates in the birth of a better Enoch than the Cainite Enoch. This Enoch was the seventh generation from Seth, but he was the opposite of the seventh generation Cainite, Lamech. Where Lamech boasted of being greater than God, Enoch walked with God, 5.22, and did not taste death, verse 24, Hebrews 11, verse 5. Next came a better and different Lamech, a Sethite who fathered a son, Noah. Upon Noah's birth, Lamech said, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Noah was a type of Christ, being a righteous man among an adulterous people. His line was saved, but the serpentine line mostly perished. The flood, however, was not the consummate striking of the serpent's head. Noah's son Ham would carry on the serpentine line. Yet the day would come when the promised seed, Christ himself, would arrive. Galatians 3.16 This seed would deliver the definitive blow to the serpent. In the new creation, no Ham will be left to lead a new resistance. Genesis 3.14 and 15 contains the redemptive storyline of the entire Bible, promising that though holy war will be waged between the two lines, God will provide a salvation fully and finally in the work of Christ. What a comfort to know that in Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. Reverend R. Andrew Compton is Assistant Professor of Old Testament Studies and Director of the Master of Theological Studies Program at Mid-America Reformed Seminary and an Associate Pastor of Redeemer United Reformed Church in Dyer, Indiana.
Today for Learn the Faith, we'll be looking at question 29 of the New City Catechism. Question, how can we be saved? Answer, only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. So even though we are guilty of having disobeyed God and are still inclined to all evil, nevertheless God, without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ when we repent and believe in him. Scripture Proof, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, as I come to you in prayer, prepare my heart, Lord. Test my faith and help me to have endurance. Let it have a perfect result in me so that I can be perfect and complete and lack nothing. And as I go through this time of prayer, Lord, will you continue to work that in me? God, I give thanks to you with all of my heart. I give thanks to you for all of your wonders. I'm glad and I exult in you. And I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. God, you are the high and the exalted one. You live forever. Your name is holy. You dwell in the high and holy place. And you also dwell with those who are contrite and lowly of spirit. And you do that in order to revive the spirit of those of us that are lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Lord, give me a contrite heart, Lord, for every one of my sins. Help me to have contrition as this sincere and complete remorse for every sin that I've committed, Lord. God, and be with me. Be with my low spirit and revive me, Lord, as I confess my sins to you. Turn me back to you through the blood and righteousness of your Son. Bring me back to a right standing with you. God, thank you that you've done this in Jesus' name, that you've forgiven me, Lord. And because of this, I will offer my sacrifices to you of thanksgiving and of praise and worship because you've given me your son and you've clothed me in his righteousness and you've forgiven me by the blood of his death on the cross. So I give thanks to your name, Lord, for your name is good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And God, now, as we get up, as I get up this morning, I rise up and I cry for your help. I'll wait for your word, Lord. My eyes anticipate seeing you work so that I can spend time meditating with you, God. Give me quietness. Give me some time out away from the things of the world. Give me a break today so that I can meditate on your word, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that those in my family that are unsaved, whoever they are, Lord, that you would bring them to you, Lord. Like it says in your word, that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they call upon you if they have not believed? And how will they believe in you if they've not heard? So God, give them somebody that can hear them, Lord. Send someone in, or someone that they can hear. Send someone into their life that will speak the gospel clearly to them so that they can hear it and they can repent and believe and have faith in you. God, and I just pray that you will use me, use my body as an instrument of righteousness. God, don't let sin reign in my body. Don't let me obey my lusts. And, don't, and help me to stop presenting my members of my body to sin, but instead presenting them to you as instruments for righteousness, instruments that you can use for good works. So God, use my body as an instrument of righteousness, my mind, my hands, my feet, my voice, Lord. Let me use it to worship you and to share your gospel and to tell the world of you, Lord. Don't let sin be my master, Lord, because I'm not underneath the law, but I'm underneath your grace, so let me live in that grace. In Jesus' name I pray all this. Amen.
Thank you for listening to my podcast today. Remember, I'm not, not ordained. I'm not a pastor. I'm not in an eldership position. So if you are a Christian and you're listening to my podcast, you need to be in church on the Lord's Day and submitting to the eldership leadership of the local congregation of the local body of Christ.